Whoa, Brando! Like, we have a new show now. Yeah, Nate, it's crazy where our journeys have taken us. Yeah, life is crazy, but, uh, what exactly are we gonna talk about? Comics? Taken. Wrestling? Taken. Video games? That too. Politics? Too boring. Shoot. Doctor Who! Too British. Yeah, fine. What if we just riff and tell stories about our life experience? That's just crazy enough to work. How does uh, every other Friday sound to you? Dude, I'm down. Guys, check out our new show, The OGs, only on the Journey to Comics Network. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to episode 72 of Poor360. I am your host, Andrew Bourne, and thank you for joining me here on a Tuesday it's been quite a week since the last episode, or two weeks. I know I said I was going to try an episode out last week. Time just gets away from me. I end up spending time uh, building a fire pit in my backyard, and then that spent a lot of nights doing that. I even missed a good chunk of the Democratic National Convention. So, despite the fact that I was on the grounds staring at the Democratic National Convention, I did not get the full rundown um, it last week was just one of those weeks where just time gets away from you, and I just was up late, up early. It just it just didn't have the time. I caught a lot of the speeches. I just don't have enough information to really talk about at this time. So on this week's episode, I thought I would talk about the Democratic vice presidential candidate to Kamala Harris, who um, was just uh, was announced between my last episode and this one. But it actually was announced on the Tuesday that my last episode dropped, so definitely someone that I know if you listen back to past episodes when uh, Nate and I and just myself were talking about the Democratic candidates uh, who seemed like a likely VP. I know she was up there, um, at least for me and some of the others, so I thought we'd just talk about her today. Um, a list will run through and then some of her, where she stands on some of the viewpoints to help you decide... If you think the the Biden Harris ticket uh, deserves your support in 2020, or if you think we need four more years of uh, Trump Pence, or if you think Joe Jorgensen um, deserves your vote as well, um, she could be the next Gary Johnson in terms of uh, votes received. So we'll see kind of see how that shakes out. But on this week's episode, we're going to talk about Kamala Harris. So let's just jump right in and talk about that. Now here is 55 things you should know about Kamala Harris. Number one, Kamala Devi Harris was born in Oakland, California on October 20th of 1964. She was the eldest of two children born in, or born to Shamala Gopalan, Gopalan, a cancer researcher from India, and Donald Harris, who's an economist from Jamaica. Uh, her parents met at UC Berkeley while pursuing graduate degrees and bonded over a shared passion for the civil rights movement, which was active on campus. After she was born, they took young Kamala along to protest in a stroller. 
Number three, uh, her, mo- her mother actually chose Kamala's name as a nod to her Indian roots. Kamala means lotus and is another name for the Hindu goddess Lakshmi and the empowerment of women. Number four, Harris's parents divorced when she was seven and her mother raised her and her sister Maya on the top floor of a yellow duplex in Berkeley. Number five, in her first grade, Harris was bused to Thousand Oaks Elementary School, which was in its second year of integration. It's kind of crazy to think that not that long ago we were still very much in the midst of integration in public schools between um, uh, black children and white children. Uh, For the next three years, she'd play Miss Mary Mack in Cat's Cradle with her friends on the bus that traveled from a predominantly black lower middle class neighborhood to her school located in a prosperous white district. Which is interesting considering the fact that both of her parents were highly educated, uh, albeit minorities, uh, in the, would have been the 70s. As a child, Harris went to both a black Baptist church and a Hindu temple, embracing both her South Asian and black identities. Uh, my mother understood very well that she was raising two black daughters, Harris later wrote in her autobiography, and she was determined to make sure we would grow into confident, proud black women. Uh, number seven, she in- visited India as a child and was heavily influenced by her grandfather, a high-ranking government official who fought for Indian independence, and, gr- and her grandmother, an activist who traveled the countryside teaching impoverished women about birth control. Very nice. Number eight, Harris attended middle school and high school in Montreal after her mom got a teaching job at McGill University and a position as a cancer researcher at Jewish General Hospital. Number nine, in Montreal, a 13-year-old Harris and her younger sister Maya led a successful demonstration in front of their apartment building in protest of a policy that banned children from playing on the lawn. Wow, crazy that's something that actually was not allowed. Um, Number 10, after high school, Harris attended Howard University, the prestigious historically black college in Washington, D.C. She majored in political science and economics and joined the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority. Uh, Number 11, while attending law school in San Francisco, Harris lived with her sister Maya and helped potty train Maya's daughter. Uh, number 12, in 1990, after passing the bar, Harris joined the Almeida Almeida County Prosecutor's Office in Oakland as an assistant district attorney focusing on sex crimes. Uh, number 13, Harris's family was initially skeptical of the career choice. While she acknowledged that prosecutors have historically earned a bad reputation, she said she wanted to change the system from the inside. Number 14, in 1994, Harris began dating Willie Brown, a powerhouse in California politics, who was then the Speaker of the State Assembly, and was 30 years older than Harris. Ooh. Uh, From his perch in the assembly, Brown appointed Harris to the California Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board and the Medical Assistance Commission, positions that together paid her around $80,000 a year on top of her prosecutor's salary. That is definitely, I don't think you call it nepotism, but definitely favoritism for sure. Um, In 1995, Brown was elected mayor of San Francisco. That December, Harris broke up with him because she concluded that there was no permanency in our relationship. Uh, Brown told Joan Walsh does three, and she was absolutely right. Yeah, that seems interesting, though. It was very much seemed like a relationship that opened doors for her. Um, after being recruited, this is number 16, after being recruited to the San Francisco District Attorney's Office by a former colleague in Almeida, Harris cracked down on teenage prostitution in the city, reorienting law enforcement's approach to focus on the girls as victims rather than as criminals selling sex. Fair enough. Uh, Number 17, during this time, Harris courted influential friends among San Francisco's moneyed elite. In 2003, they would provide the financial backing to make her a formidable candidate in her first campaign for office. In 2008, she ran for the district attorney in San Francisco against incumbent Terrence Hallinan, her former boss. Her message, a top strategist on the campaign, told Politico was, 
We're progressive like Terrence Hanlon, but we're competent like Terrence Hanlon is not. Number 19, she was elected in a runoff with 56.5% of the vote. With her victory, she became the first black woman in California to be elected district attorney. Number 20, that same year, Gavin Newsom was elected mayor, succeeding Willie Brown. Newsom, now governor of California, is a close friend of hers, and the two have even vacationed together. Okay. Uh, 21, during her first three years as district attorney, San Francisco's conviction rate jumped from 52 to 67%. I know this statistic in her time as district attorney is something that a lot of people don't like her for. I remember a lot of people when she was um, announced as the running mate that they said they basically, during this time of um, kind of the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests regarding um, kind of injustice and police brutality, that electing someone who um, was essentially convicted a lot of people uh, seemed like a bad mood for some. That is still remain to be seen on my, uh, in my opinion. Uh, number 22, one of Harris's most controversial decisions came in 2004 when she declined to pursue the death penalty against the man who murdered San Francisco police officer Isaac Espinosa at the funeral. Senator Dianne Feinstein delivered a eulogy in which she criticized Harris, who was in the audience, prompting a standing ovation from the hundreds of officers in attendance. Number 23, later says California Attorney General Harris declined to support two ballot initiatives that would have banned the death penalty, raising accusations of political opportunism and inconsistency on the controversial issue, which does, based on her previous work, it seems a little confusing. Number 24, she was under scrutiny during her tenure as San Francisco District Attorney when a physician stole cocaine from the DA's crime lab and mishandled evidence. Harris, trying to keep things under wraps, failed to inform defense attorneys. As a result, about a thousand drug-related cases had to be thrown out. Wow. Number 25, her friendship with Barack Obama dates back to his run for Senate in 2004. She was the first notable Californian officeholder to endorse him during his 2008 presidential run. <clears throat> 26, in San Francisco, she vocally supported a controversial 2010 law that made truancy a misdemeanor and punished parents who failed to send their children to school. The truancy rate ultimately dropped, but some critics saw the rule as too punitive. On number 27, that same year, in her second term as district attorney, Harris ran for California Attorney General... Initially, few thought she would win the race. She was a woman of color from liberal San Francisco who opposed the death penalty, and she was running against Steve Cooley, a popular white Republican who served as Los Angeles DA. Number 20, the race was so tight that on election night, Cooley made a victory speech that in the San Francisco Chronicle declared him the winner. Three weeks later, all ballots have been counted. Harris was declared the victor by 0.8 percentage points, and they say that votes don't matter. As Attorney General, when California was offered $4 billion in a national mortgage settlement over the foreclosure crisis, Harris fought for a larger amount by refusing to sign the deal. Although she was accused of grandstanding, she managed to secure $20 billion of California homeowners. Or, she managed to secure $20 million for California homeowners. Number 30, one of her signature accomplishments as Attorney General was creating Open Justice, an online platform to make criminal justice data available to the public. The database helped improve police accountability by collecting information on the number of deaths and injuries of those in police custody. Number 31, the California Department of Justice recommended in 2012 that Harris file a civil enforcement action against one West Bank for widespread misconduct when foreclosing homes. Number 32, some advocates say Harris didn't do enough to address police brutality while she was Attorney General, especially after she refused to investigate the police shootings of two black men in 2014 and 2015. Charleston supported a 2015 bill in the state assembly that would have required the Attorney General to appoint a special prosecutor who specializes in police use of deadly force. Definitely a misstep here. 33. In 2013, President Barack Obama was recorded referring to Harris as the best-looking attorney general in the country. 
He later apologized as critics labeled the comment as sexist. 34. Harris was rumored to be a potential Supreme Court nominee under the Obama administration, although she later said she wasn't interested. In 30, uh, number 35, she married Doug Emhoff, a corporate lawyer in Los Angeles, in 2014 at a small and private ceremony officiated by her sister. Emhoff has two children from a previous marriage they call Harris Momala. Or Mamala? Maybe Mamala. That sounds more like Kamala, Mamala. I get it. Um, she won her U.S. Senate race in 2016, defeating fellow Democrat Loretta Sanchez, a moderate congresswoman with 20 years of experience. In number 37, she went viral in 2017 for a sharp questioning of then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions on the Russian investigation after three and a half minutes of persistent questioning. Sessions said, I'm not able to be rushed this fast. It makes me nervous. I remember that. That was actually pretty cool. Um, number 38, she implemented a similar strategy. Oh, before I move on to 38. 37, um, because, um, this is kind of from news from today, because she is now the VP candidate, she chose not to participate in the in the, um, I forget what it was called, the hearing uh, involving um, Postmaster General uh, DeJoy, um, just based on, she didn't want it to seem as political, yeah, all that. Okay, moving on, 38. She implemented a similar strategy of questioning during Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court confirmation hearings in 2018 when she grilled him about whether he'd discussed the Mueller investigation with anyone. At number 39, her most fervent online supporters were called the K-Hive, a phrase inspired by Beyonce's little group of fans, the Bay Hive. Ah, I get it. Um, number 40, by far the most viral moment of her presidential campaign came in the first Democratic debate when she confronted Joe Biden over his position on cross-district busing in the 70s while using a personal anecdote. There was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools, and she was bused to school every day, she said. And the little girl was me. Though her opponent was briefly surged after the debate, it was only downhill from there. Number 41, in two TV interviews over the course of a week in 2019, President Donald Trump called Harris nasty for questioning of Attorney General William Barr over his handling of the Mueller report during the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings. Number 42, she had an inconsistent stance on health care, which also made voters skeptical, although she said she'd supported the, ab uh, the abolition of private health care during an earlier town hall. She later denied her statement and said... She had misheard the question. She eventually released a health care plan that still included private health insurance. Number 43. During the campaign, Harris shied away from discussing specifics about her career as a prosecutor, a strategic choice born of fear that voters on the left criticized her over criminal justice issues. She even failed to give a sharp response to Rep. Tulsi Gabbard's misleading attack against her, leaving voters unclear about her positions. Number 44. She entered a presidential bid in December of 2019, a month before the Iowa caucuses. After taking a hard look at her campaign's financial future and low poll numbers, internal turmoil cost her presidential bid, with aides accusing Harris of mistreating her staff with sudden layoffs and allowing her sister Maya to have too much influence. Number 45, she delayed her endorsement for, for Biden until March 8th when there was no more women left in the race and his nomination was undeniable. Six days after the California primary, she threw support behind Biden and said he was a leader who could unify the people. Number 46, she was an enthusiastic cook with who bookmarks recipes from the New York Times cooking section has tried all the recipes from Alice Waters' The Art of Simple Food. Her, her go-to dinner entree is simply roast chicken. Oh, is a simple roast chicken, sorry. Uh, number 47, she collects Converse Chuck Taylor sneakers, which are her go-to travel shoes. I get to see a picture, I guess, that shows what she's wearing on her feet, but that's still fun. Uh, I remember doing that a little in middle school. Um... 
Number 48, her favorite books include Native Son by Richard Wright, The Kite Runner by Khaled Hassani, The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison, and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Okay. Number 49, she typically wakes up around 6 a.m. and works out for a half hour on the elliptical or soul cycle. She'll start the day with a bowl of raisin bran with almond milk and tea with honey and lemon before leaving for work. It is a very middle-aged person activity. Like raisin bran and tea with honey. All right. Uh, she herself as a tough boss, although mostly on herself. Number 51, one of the few times her father spoke publicly about her was when he reprimanded her for justly pointing to her Jamaican heritage when asked about her support for the legalization of marijuana. He criticized her for connecting Jamaicans to the fraudulent stereotype of a pot-smoking joy seeker. He said he and his immediate family wished to categorically dissociate ourselves from this travesty. Yikes. Uh, number 52, she is not a fan of being called the female Obama. When a reporter asked her about carrying on Obama's legacy during her pre first pres her run for president, she said, I have my own legacy. Fair point. It's not like ask white people to compare to other white people. Why should she, as... Uh, a black woman be compared to Obama. Yeah, I get it. Uh, in her June, her Wikipedia page was edited 408 times, far more than any other candidate on the shortlist. In the span of three weeks, which people point to the design of her nomination as running mate, the Wikipedia page of Senator Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's running mate in 2016, saw more activity than any other candidate as well. The edits mostly made by one person had scrubbed, had scrubbed controversial information from her page, including her tough-on-crime record and a decision not to prosecute Stephen Munchen uh, for financial fraud in 2013. Number 54, if elected November, she will be the first woman, first African-American, and first Asian-American vice president of the United States, or in the history of the United States. That's exciting. Uh, number 55, her motto comes from mom. You may be the first, but make sure not the last. All right. Definitely good things, things we all should know. Now let's move on to kind of where she stands politically. So these are the key issues. So, um... Is Democratic Vice Presidential Candidate Kamala Harris a far-left ideologue or a sober-minded centrist? Even President Donald Trump and his Republican allies seem undecided about how to define the California senator ahead of November's election. During the Democratic primary's contest to pick its challenge to Mr. Trump, Ms. Harris ran to the left of the eventual winner, Joe Biden, for whom she is now the running mate. But speculation about whether Mr. Biden's citizen could pledge to serve only one term in office for political positions are current, coming under intense scrutiny. GovTrack, an independent nonpartisan website, listed her as the most liberal of all 100 senators. The New York Times labels her as pragmatic, moderate. Fox News hosts call her a radical. So here's where she stands on the five key issues. On police and race, Ms. Harris, the only black woman in the Senate, is broadly aligned with the rest of her party in supporting law enforcement reform. But rather than openly call for defunding of police departments, as many liberals Democrats desire, she has spoken of reimagining how we do public safety in America. Ms. Biden said he does not support defunding police. Ms. Harris has described herself as a progressive prosecutor and top cop in her previous roles in California, but her record rankled both liberals and conservatives. As San Francisco District Attorney in 2004, she infuriated police by declining to seek the death penalty for a gang member who had gunned down an officer. In 2014, she outraged progressives as state attorneys general by appealing a judge against a judge's ruling that the death penalty was unconstitutional. In 2015, she not support efforts to ensure incidents of police deadly force cover independently investigated or that all officers should wear body cameras. Ms. Harris has been, as more recently supported legislating marijuana on the national level, something Mr. Biden opposes, but critics point out to her San Francisco office oversaw over 1,900 cannabis convictions. Under health, uh, Ms. Harris' shifting opinions on this issue damaged her presidential campaign. She was one of the first 
top Democrats to join Senator Bernie Sanders' 2017 Medicare for All bill to provide government-run medical insurance for every American. But after professionally, but after professing support for eliminating private health insurance companies, she swiftly backtracked. Mr. Biden does not back Medicare for All and has called and said for bolstering President Barack Obama's landmark Affordable Care Act. Uh, under climate change, Ms. Harris, a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal, a policy paper that advocates overhauling the U.S. economy to tackle climate change, conservatives decry it as a socialist manifesto. Recently, Ms. Harris introduced a climate equity bill which self-described Democratic Socialist Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC, that seeks to rate how environmental laws affect lower-income communities. Ms. Harris opposes fracking and has called for federal legal action against the fossil fuel industry. Her presidential campaign, she outlined a $10 trillion climate plan for net zero emissions by 2045. For gun control, during her White House bid, Ms. Harris promised to use executive action to enact stricter gun control if she became president. Like most Democrats, she supports more regulation of gun manufacturers, mandatory background checks, tightening loopholes, and a ban on assault weapons. She also said she was open to the idea of going even further in supporting a mandatory buyback compelling owners of assault weapons to forfeit those guns. After selection as running mate, the National Rifle Society said Ms. Harris backed extreme gun control agendas. For women's rights during the Democratic primary, Ms. Harris supported highly contentious taxpayer-funded abortions, Arguably, they would save the lives of lower-income women. So did all the other contenders include Mr. Biden after a flip-flop? Ms. Harris chastised him over the matter in a live TV debate. Ms. Harris also proposed providing all workers with six months of paid family leave for personal or medical issues, including those related to domestic violence. It was a far more generous policy than left-wing Democratic contenders Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who backed a three-month paid leave. Ms. Harris also suggested during a campaign that large companies should be required to be Equal pay certified to close the gender pay gap or face fines. Under immigration, like all the Democratic 2020 contenders, Ms. Harris, the child of immigrants herself, pledged to offer a path to citizenship to the millions of undocumented immigrants living in the U.S. And like most of the other candidates, she supported decriminalizing border crossings by undocumented immigrants and providing taxpayer-funded health care for those crossing the U.S. border without papers. In a 2018 Senate hearing, Ms. Out Harris outraged conservatives by drawing parallels between the Ku Klux Klan and the Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Agency within the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. So that's where she stands on some of the big issues. I kind of take it or leave it. Obviously, being the vice presidential candidate, uh, she will probably change and adjust her views to more seek the candidate she is working with. So she will align herself much more closely with Biden's views, um, which aren't that far from hers currently anyway. I hope this gives you guys some more information on Kamala Harris to let you make a more informed decision in November if you are for this ticket, against the other ticket, however you fall on this thing. But be sure, um, with everything going on, if you aren't voting in person, make sure to vote early, vote by mail carried into the uh, early polling place on the day before. Just make sure you don't wait to the last minute to mail it in. If you are mailing in because of the craziness going on with the U.S. Postal Service, um, Things are getting slower. I have witnessed it with some packages myself and mail, but definitely make sure if you are planning to vote by mail that you do it promptly. Uh, request your ballot, request your mail-in documents. Get that off as soon as possible. If you're voting absentee, do that as well. Uh, definitely know this is going to be a close race, and depending on who you're supporting, make sure um, you're planning ahead for all of that. I think that'll wrap up this week's episode of Poor360. We are currently in the midst 
of the Republican National Convention, which had its own interesting slate of people. Uh, there's been a lot of political news going on as well, so we will be need to be mindful of that. So next week, I will be recapping both the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. I should hopefully have time. This week going to be a little fuzzy, but I'll do what I can. But thank you guys for listening. As always, check me out on the socials. Check out other shows on the network. We have a lot going on. There's been a lot of big booms out there. Definitely, if you haven't yet listened to yesterday's JIC, talks about everything going on with the DC fandom, with all the stuff going on there. It's been a blast. That was 72. I am Andrew Poor. You guys have a great week.